Last week, longtime abortionist and Canadian abortion activist Henry Morgenthaler died. In 1988, in large part due to Mr. Morgenthaler, it was determined that Canada's abortion law violated Section 7 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, infringing on women's right to life, liberty and personal security. Clearly, the other side was not doing anything to make the argument for the unborn child. Actually, I'm not really sure what the other side was arguing. What about the right to life, liberty and security of the person of the unborn child? That would have been the time to argue in court that personhood, and therefore the rights that all persons have no matter whether they are born or not yet born, begins at conception. But as it is, here we are, not with abortion being legal, technically, but with no law because politicians are too chicken to open the debate. And it makes me wonder what the logic was for abortion being illegal in the first place. Was it not because it was considered murder? And if it was, why wasn't that the argument? If it wasn't, then why was abortion a criminal act? Maybe someone can write in and clarify this for me. Morgenthaler said in 2007 that the abortion debate is over. Well, clearly it isn't. While I don't see the laws changing anytime soon, and it is frustrating that what's plain to me and to a lot of people is so hard for others to understand, I don't fault Mr. Morgenthaler. He fought a good fight. But he started off with some key false premises. The main one being that a human being is not a human person from the moment of conception. That's the heart of the argument. All I wish is that more Canadians had Morgenthaler's conviction, passion and courage, no matter the reasons, in order to make Canada a better place for all Canadians, especially those who are most vulnerable and who have no one to speak for them. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro and as always we have a great show for you today. Before we get going, congratulations to our Salt and Light Radio winners. Mike Couture of Chatham, Ontario won a copy of Peter Kreeft's Jacob's Ladder and John McCabe of Toronto, Alexandra Utrera of Toronto and Aidan Murphy of Bowmanville, Ontario all won copies of Matt Mars. All the people said Amen. Also, Linda Savary Edwards of Little Rock, Arkansas won a copy of Amanda Vernon's Interior Gaze. If you have not already done so, please contact us to claim your prize. Radio at saltandlighttv.org And to be sure that you're on the list to win a prize, visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and stay connected with your name and email address. That's all we need. No longer is it enough to just like our Facebook page, but you can still go to Facebook and like us. Today, our public relations guru, Danny Torquia, joins us to talk about something that he calls the mediatization of the home. And in our second half hour, we have a conversation that will interest all budding journalists in your home. I'll be speaking with Ruane Remy, editor of the You Speak News program of the Catholic Register. And we're very excited that finally, after some haggling, we've been able to connect with Audrey Assad. And I'm sure that many of you have heard of her. Along with Matt Marr, she's probably one of the most popular and successful Catholic singer-songwriters of our time. We'll be speaking with her at the end of the program, and we're going to be playing her music throughout from her latest album, Heart. So here she is, Audrey Assad, with Wherever You Go. There's a train leaving your heart tonight There's a silence inside your head You're running, you're running 
was Audrey Assad with Wherever You Go from her album Heart. And we'll be speaking with Audrey in the second half of the program. And in about 15 minutes, Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. But first, Chris is here with our news. Well, Pedro, starting at the Vatican, we're familiar with the expressions culture of life and culture of death. Well, Pope Francis is warning against a culture of waste. The Wednesday general audience, he said that men and women are sacrificed to the idols of money and consumption. And he noted how homeless people can freeze to death on the streets, and this isn't news. On the other hand, he says that a drop of 10 points on the stock market is considered a tragedy, and that's how people are thrown away. He gave a strong indictment of the priorities of Western culture. Speaking of food, he said that food that is thrown away might as well have been stolen from the tables of the poor and hungry. He noted that on Wednesday it was World Environment Day as designated by the United Nations and he said that human ecology and environmental ecology walk together. Now recall that this concept of human ecology was an expression defined by Pope Benedict in Caritas in Veritate, his social encyclical. Speaking of Pope Francis, he's wading into another debate, the Armenian Genocide. From the start of World War I through 1922, some 1.5 million Armenians were killed by the Ottoman Empire. The Armenians called a genocide, but Turkey 
fiercely disputes that term, says they say it's inaccurate and one-sided. Pope Francis has a history of using that term going back to when he was in Buenos Aires, but now that he represents the Universal Church as Pope, his comments carry a lot more weight. He reiterated his recognition of the genocide in a meeting with the head of the Armenian Catholic Church. One of the members of the Patriarch's delegation said she was a descendant of one of the victims of the genocide. The Pope responded by saying that the first genocide of the 20th, of the 20th century was that of the Armenians. Now one wonders what effect this could have on relations between the Holy See and Turkey. Finally, Pedro, as you know, I've always been interested in news coming out of Israel and Palestine, and there was some good news and some bad news this week. First, the good news, Israel and the Holy See are reportedly very close to reaching an agreement on the Cynical. Christians believe that the Cynical is the site of the upper room where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper. Since the establishment of Israel, it's been under government control, and its use for religious purposes is very limited. Israel and the Holy See have been trying to come to an agreement on this issue since signing a concordat or a treaty in 1993. Other contentious issues that haven't quite been resolved have been related to taxation of church properties and visas for visiting clergy. As for the upper room, reportedly under this deal, management of the site will be returned to the Franciscans, who maintain most of the Catholic sites in the Holy Land, but the government will retain ownership. But this will likely mean that Masses can once again be celebrated at the site of the Last Supper. So very good news. The news isn't so good, however, in Gaza, where the, where the Catholic Church has a long history of running social services for the people there. Now, five schools in the Gaza Strip are facing closure, two of them Catholic, three of them belonging to other Christian denominations. And that's because the Hamas government is now forbidding mixed schools for boys and girls. This is even though uh, these schools are being run by the church, and they're, they're mixed uh, groups of students. They're both Muslim and Christian, but mostly Muslim students. Other new rules include an order that instructors can't teach students of the opposite sex older than 10. This is according to an interpretation of Islamic law. A church representative says that the schools can't afford to divide their spaces into classrooms for boys and classrooms for girls. And the head of the Latin Rite Catholics in the Holy Land, Patriarch Fouad Tual, he's hoping to address the church's concerns to the Prime Minister of Gaza. So we'll wait and see what happens there. I know, because well, does that mean that the children would have to go to, to uh, government schools, Muslim schools, I guess? Perhaps. Perhaps. Anyway, thank you very much, Chris. Chris Dimitrenko, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. If you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, remember we love to hear your comments. Send them to us via Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. Hi, I'm Sheridan, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is Sheridan with news about a Matt Marr concert. And now, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. That's so exciting. Matt Marr concert. Oh, yes, I love coming that. to London, but more details coming up. Yeah, exactly. Um, for our listeners, today we're going to be talking about an important doctor of the church. Can I get a drum roll? We are going to be talking about St. Anthony of Padua. Oh, that's one of your favorites, right? One of my favorites. And uh, I'll tell our listeners a little bit about uh, um, why Salt and Light um, 
is looking to St. Anthony of Padua this month, but first of all... because we lost something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did lose something, but anyways. St. Anthony of Padua, uh, Deacon, you would know this, uh, is one of the most famous disciples of St. Francis of Assisi. When we think of St. Francis, yeah. you know, not too far from him is St. Anthony He's probably one of the most famous saints, too, just because oh, yeah. people lose things. Well, exactly. He was born in the year 1195. AD in Lisbon, Portugal. This is very close to home for me. This is why Andrew's excited. <laughs> uh, he was born in Lisbon where his father was a captain in the Royal Army. Um, at the age of 15, he entered the Congregation of Canons Regular of St. Augustine. And it was there that he prayed. He devoted himself to study and to the practice of piety in Coimbra, Portugal. I know where Coimbra is. Um, about that time, some of the first members of the Order of Friars Minor which we know that St. Francis had founded in the, in the 1200s, came to Coimbra as well. So when he was in Coimbra, um, St. Anthony, he stumbled upon the relics of St. Bernard and the Companions. And we know that they were the first martyrs of the Franciscan order. Mm -hmm. And he was really struck by that. Um, and he had an intense desire. He had a profound desire to suffer martyrdom just like they did. So after praying, after reflecting about that, he begged his superiors... This was from the congregation of the canons regular to leave that order and join the Franciscan, um, the Franciscan order. So in a quiet Franciscan convent in Coimbra, St. Anthony received a friendly reception. And in that year, he fulfilled his dream, his lifelong dream to be sent to Africa. Um, and at that time in his life, he was very weak and sickly. Um, he was sent to Africa, and after that, just before his ordination, St. Anthony was sent to the town of Forli, which is in Italy. Uh, before the ceremony was to begin, it was announced that the priest who was to preach at his ordination mass became sick. Um, the local superior, um, I guess in order to like avoid embarrassment um, at the ordination mass, asked the friars in attendance to volunteer. Each excused himself, saying that they were not prepared, that they were not prepared to preach at that mass. So um, when he too excused himself in the most humble manner, his superior ordered him by virtue of the vow of obedience to give the sermon. St. Anthony began to speak. Uh, he was very reserved. He was very calm, very collective. Um, but everyone there was kind of taken over by, some, by this holiness that St. Anthony, um, Anthony radiated. And he spoke with such eloquence. And everybody who attended the ordination mass was amazed. Here he is just going to an ordination mass and then, oh, hey, you're going to preach. I find that totally hilarious. Um, when St. Francis found out about uh, St. Anthony preaching at the ordination mass, he sent him to preach all throughout Italy. St. Anthony himself placed greater value in the salvation of souls than on learning. He was more um, concentrated on capturing people than really about the academics. Um, for that reason, he never stopped to exercise his office as preacher despite his work of teaching. In 1227, St. Anthony was elected Minister Provincial of the Friars in Northern Italy. He resumed the work of preaching there, and due to taxing labors and, and penance, he soon felt his strength um, so spent that he prepared himself for death. After receiving the last sacraments, he died on June the 13th in the year 1231, being only 36 years of age. And interestingly enough, as soon as he died, the children in the streets of Padua were crying, the saint is dead, Anthony is dead, huh. running all throughout the streets. Uh, Pope Gregory enrolled him among the saints to be canonized in the very next year. Um, in Padua, a magnificent basilica was built in his honor. His holy relics were entombed there in the year 1263. Um, from the time of his death up to the present day, many miracles have been 
uh, attributed to Saint Anthony, especially uh, lost items. Um, and he is known as the Wonder Worker. He's also a doctor in the church. Mm -hmm. In 1946, he was declared a doctor of the church. So we pray to Saint Anthony. And as I was going to say before, um, this is a very special month for Salt and Light and Saint Anthony because we release our newest documentary on Saint Anthony this month. His feast day is on June the 13th. It's coming up this week. And we actually air the new documentary on our network. It's called Finding Saint Anthony, A Story of Loss and Light. I like it. I believe that's the name. But it airs on our network this Thursday on the same day of, uh, that June the church 13th. celebrates. So we pray to St. Anthony. And if you're watching our television network, check it out because it's fantastic. Very good. So June 13th, and feast day, and it's also the day that you should tune in. Uh, yeah. if you're Besides learning about St. Anthony here, you can learn about him on our television If you're network. outside our broadcast area, you can watch everything, all our programs online at saltandlighttv.org. Thank you, Andrew, for that. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1, and visit us and like our page. Also visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and stay connected for a chance to win cool music prizes from our featured artists. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, it seems like it's been a long time, but I guess it's only been a month. Yeah, nice so, to be back. Thanks so so you. you talk about mediatization. I don't know if I know if I can spell that. Mediatization of the home. What do you mean by that? Well, in the world of communications and marketing, where I, from which I hail, we see um, everything as real estate, everything as uh -huh. potential for communications. And in the home, with the, of course, the growth of technology, whether it's smartphones or web-based social right. sites, uh, even just uh, the home premise, uh -huh. uh, we find that uh, marketers and communication professionals who work in a good field or a good pr uh, altruistic purpose, yeah, yeah. nonprofit, or even even in the for-profit consumer, will look for ways to establish dialogue with moms, grandpa, grandmothers, and children. Okay, usually. so wait, can you just give me an example? Seems a little abstract. Well, uh, I mean, look at YouTube, for example. I used okay. to be able to, to watch YouTube videos of cool little songs for my children, my three little boys, and right. now there's ads everywhere, everywhere. where before, okay. in the middle, and after, I'm worried about what are they going to see. And I think uh, no matter what, people are trying to get to the end user, being those different audience segments, okay. little children, and even through school newsletters, through community paper, or through technology. Okay, so you're, basically what you're saying is that it's impossible to escape messages that are being thrown at us at all times. That's a good point. We can't run and hide, but what we can do as parents is to be aware the, of the real estate and the value of our uh, home computer, our home smartphone, and to then take ownership of that and, and talk to our children. So what, as a father, I'm kind of blessed that I can yeah. say, we need to spend more time talking to our children, explaining to them our faith, explaining to them our values, mm -hmm. and our worries about the uh, different realities in life. Uh -huh. The fact that they are going to be bombarded, and people are trying to make them consumers, 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 so that... Uh, people can just, I guess, grow their wealth, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, uh -huh. but parents need to be aware so that they can convey and transmit the faith, for example. Okay, so you, you mentioned the word consumer. You, there, there's con I see consumer as, yes, the marketer wants you to go and purchase a product, 
but consumers in the sense that we're also consuming the media itself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, so I'm listening to music. I'm consuming that. What's the message? What's the message? And and really, there are uh, objectives and agendas in certain industries that hit our home. Like in the music business, uh -huh. there's either promoters or uh, publishers or um, managers of content. They want to get a hike in 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 uh, in in. Um, Sorry, they want to get an increase in listeners, yeah, of in readers, in statistics of to then so, so fuel do we. the commercial engine. Yeah, so do we. Right so here in the show, knowing so the, the game. Right it's just about parents to know what they're dealing with. What about other things like images in the home? If I have a poster of something in my bedroom, or or or, or I don't know, is that also media? Yeah, you know what? I, I was thinking of what to, what to share with you today. Think of the home as internal communications, and think of the exterior of the home as external communications okay. in the home you can choose what uh, artwork to put up. You can choose to use, uh, to put up uh, passages from scripture and to uh, play with it and change things up every month or so or two. And that is a very good way to speak to your children um, about your faith and to uh, make things exciting for them and not be stagnant uh -huh. and static. And I think if we jazz up our communications with regards to our faith, Maybe kids will be interested to say, Dad, what's the statue you brought home? Or, Dad, why'd you right. put this passage from Matthew chapter or whatever? And then and, and, and the parents should try to maybe speak about it because right. the exterior world is very exciting, very bells and whistles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so we need to compete a little bit in that and not be tired parents. I'm a tired dad when I get home. Yeah. We, we just, it's too easy to just crash on the couch. We have to find a way to jazz up our communications with our children okay. and treat our home as a beautiful blank canvas f on which we can speak. We can control faith. the message. Um, maybe just in closing, um, I remember talking to my kids about the commercial they're watching on TV. It's like, remember that, that, that that's just the Barbie, the whole car and the beach and the sauna doesn't come with it. Um, how do we teach our kids to be, uh, to, to be a critical media consumers first of all by by talking about what they're seeing uh, by also sharing what you think are your are your values at home and I mean we all need to research things and prepare things a little bit more oftentimes I watch television and you'll see that you, you can watch 30 minutes of television and the commercials will be will be will be owned by one mass absolutely. consumer company absolutely and and that's the way that the media is so p parents just need to get educated and talk about this with their children and uh, and give them our uh, values our faith uh, in a in a very cool and modern way okay so it's it's all about media literacy um, we can't uh, ignore it we're not immune to it and we can control when we can control it especially when it comes to our kids and I guess as adults, we, we need to just be aware that, that it's out there. And for for organizations out there in the in the community, we need to find ways to also work with parents to bring the, our messages outside of a parish and into the home and into the community. Excellent. I like that. I like that. So I'm sure we'll c continue this conversation. Thank you. Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. He is our public relations guru and the managing director of Torquia Communications. Hello, this is Danielle Rose, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can download our podcast for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hello, friends. The Year of Faith is in full swing, and the Diocese of London, Ontario, is hosting a great concert to celebrate. And who doesn't like to go to a concert? Especially a Matt Maher concert. 
To find out more, I spoke with Dan Moynihan, a youth ministry specialist in the Diocese of London, earlier this week. Dan, good to speak with you. Very good to be with you. Tell us about this concert, when it is, and what we can look forward to. Very good. We've invited uh, Matt Marr, a Catholic recording artist and worship leader, um, known, known throughout North America, originally a Canadian guy from Newfoundland, makes his home in the United States now. We've welcomed him and his band on Wednesday, July 10th uh, to downtown London, uh, Centennial Hall. Nice. And how did this concert come about? Great. We've been looking in uh, DAS and youth ministry uh, for, for a number of things kind of came together. So we've been looking for events that can the entire families can participate right. in and uh, as a family because we know um, that when faith is talked about and lived in the in a family, that's kind of the greatest witness that young people can have. Yeah. And we wanted to do something in this year of faith um, that was family-friendly, youth-friendly, youth-oriented. So uh, the, the day events kind of stretch out. People can come just for the concert, but we've also... We're welcoming people to Mass at our cathedral downtown at 4.30 for those who can make it. Right. Uh, so anybody can be there for 4.30. And then afterwards, we're hosting a barbecue right on the property of the cathedral, and uh, people can, can uh, purchase uh, food there. And then we'll walk across the lawn, and Centennial Hall is, uh, is right there. So drawing together uh, some of the best efforts of youth ministry in this year of faith, we, uh, we thought Matt Meyer would be a great artist for people to connect with. Fun. Sounds a lot of fun. Tell me about your opening act, Kyle yeah. Garrity. Yeah, Kyle Garrity's a local guy. He's, uh, uh, he's a local Catholic teacher, but he's also a well-recognized uh, music minister. He leads uh, music ministry at Holy Family Parish here in the city of London. And we use him throughout the diocese for different youth events and uh, youth projects. Um, and he, uh, he's got quite a bit of name recognition in our in uh, southwestern Ontario because he'll play all of our different youth conferences or different celebrations. And many parishes would bring him in, say, when they're, they're hosting the Sacrament of Confirmation or something. Kyle might lead music ministry or the retreats for the kids or whatnot. So he'll, bring, he'll be supported by four other, uh, four other individuals with uh, their instruments and, and vocal abilities. And so we're looking forward to them. Sounds good. So how much is the concert and where would we get our tickets from? Yeah, we can. Uh, the easiest way to access tickets is if you go to our diocesan website, dol.ca, and uh, under the youth ministry page, there's some uh, links there. But the, the hall, the Centennial Hall box office is managing uh, ticket sales for us. So it'll link you right to the Centennial Hall box office. Tickets are $20 plus the uh, applicable fees for Centennial Hall. So um, it raises it up a few dollars, but uh, it's a $20 ticket. Sounds good. Are there any other upcoming events to keep in mind for the summer? Uh, this summer, yeah, the Diocese of London is also hosting our Catholic Christian Leadership Camp, which is an event geared for anyone in high school this coming fall. So if you're grade 8 launching into grade 9 this year through to grade 12, uh, we're, uh, we're running three weeks of camp, um, and you can uh, check that out on the Diocesan website as well. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Dan. Great. Thank you, Sheridan. To find out more, visit dol.ca. And again, I was speaking with Dan Moynihan, Youth Ministry Specialist in the Diocese of London. Perfect. There you have it. Matt Marr concert. Uh, Matt Marr, a friend of Salt and Light Radio and, and former Salt and Light featured uh, artist. Thank you very much, Sheridan. Remember, if you'd like to let us know what's happening in your diocese, send us a comment via Facebook. And don't go anywhere because coming up in our second half hour, Youth Speak News and a featured chat with Audrey Assad.
Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. The Catholic Register is Canada's most popular weekly Catholic publication with 80,000 readers. Its pages feature news and opinion, plus coverage of faith, education, travel, and the arts. And 14 years ago, the Catholic Register, in an effort to engage younger readers, created a program called Youth Speak News. It is both a section of the newspaper and also a training program for young writers. And every year they recruit a new team of high school students from across the country. And to tell us more about it, I am now joined by the youth editor at the Catholic Register, Ruane Remy. Ruane, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. So uh, I gave a little kind of basic background there, but how did YSN, Youth Speak News, how did it really begin? Well, uh, the Catholic Register wants to sort of inspire and foster um, not only writers, but um, Christian writers, Catholic writers. And I think um, from that desire, that's where the program started. So, okay, so what's the difference between a Catholic writer and just a good writer? What's the difference? Well, a good writer is a good writer, but um, a, a Catholic writer is someone who who takes into account Catholic readers, what they want to see, um, you know, what they want to learn about, uh, the issues that affect them, but also um, comes from a background of faith, of Catholic faith. Right, so... Do you have to be Catholic to be a Catholic writer? That sounds like an obvious question. But do you know what I mean? um, I I believe so. At least for YSN, you need to be. Because um, in the application process, all applicants, high school students or university students actually, um, they need a nomination letter where... um, they, it's from a youth minister or a pastor or a teacher I who see. can vouch that they have demonstrated not only um, an interest in media and communications, but that they are right. committed Catholic. Right. See, we, we talk about this here at Salt and Light all the time because, I mean, in terms of what makes news, for example, Catholic. Um, so, and, and what would you say then, because it's more than just covering Catholic news or news about the Vatican or news that concern Catholics. You're talking about there's an, another aspect there to being a Catholic writer, right? Right. Um, I mean, now, I think to be a Catholic writer, you need, you need a, not only just a strong knowledge of Catholic issues, but you're also, your, your faith informs your writing. Um, I think writers can never separate themselves from, from who they are. And so to be Catholic, I think it works its way into writing. Um, not only sort of how you address issues, but how you perceive them as well. Right. Okay, so it's it's uh, partly content for the paper, because it's a column or a section. Um, yes. But it's also a training program. Um, would, would you say that part of the aim of YSN is to also give young people a voice? Yes, it is, because that's why we choose uh, young writers. I mean, we can have someone who's 40 writing about a story um, that relates to young people, but I think if young people write it themselves, they're telling their own stories. Right. So, 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 how does it work? You have a team of young writers from across the country. How many? Explain a little bit how it works once once you have the team. Right. So we have a team um, from across the country, and we're talking coast to coast. So from BC to Halifax. Okay. Um, and they're usually around age fifteen and up. 
usually high school students or university age students. Right. And um, they come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some have even been, uh, one of our writers this year was actually Anglican Youth Catholic. Really? So we want a wide variety of perspectives. Right. So um, a lot of our listeners are in the United States, actually. Would you consider someone from the United States? Maybe you can have one American as your team. You know what? Um, I think that if we find someone in the States that is, um, you know, that proposes, I mean, usually we focus on Canadian issues. Right. But if there's someone in the States that is passionate about this, and, um, you know, they apply, I am willing to look at their application. Oh, well, that's good. That's good to know. So, so all our listeners in the States, uh, go check it out. Um, so once you have, uh, how many do you have in the team? Is it a set number? Or how um, do... Usually we have 12, but this year we have 14. Oh, really? So, so it's totally, a lot. We're, uh, we're, we're flexible. And, and then are they each required to write something on every week, or how does that work? Yes, we have um, a schedule for columns. So our columnists, they're all columnists, right? Right. And they, they have a, a set time to submit columns, but then we have them sort of pitch news ideas on a sort of free basis. Uh-huh. But um, so some of our writers will write more and some will write less, but we encourage all of them to pitch their ideas on a regular basis um, because obviously that's what their purpose is. And so uh, how much of, okay, so that's sort of, you're treating them as as basically newspaper staff, yes. columnists. Um, how do you work in the training because they're all over the country? Right. So um, I'm very good with, I guess, email and things like that. So they would, right. they would come, they would say, I would assign them a story. Um, I would, you know, give them details, especially when they start off at the beginning. I might give them a little bit more instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they send their, their stories to me, I will edit it in a very sort of detailed way that they not only see the corrections I make, but they know why I made those corrections. Okay. So that over time, what I see is that um, people's work actually becomes easier to edit. So someone who writes for me a lot at the beginning, their work is going to be actually easier to edit by the time the program is over because they've picked up on all these right. little cues. Okay, so basically they're learning by doing it. Yes. Also, I'm easily accessible over phone, and I'm actually thinking about possibly trying to become more accessible over things like Skype. Oh, good. Now, do, do you publish everything they write or everything you assign them? Um, things that I assign them, I do publish. Uh-huh. Um, not everything they write, because obviously it's a learning process. Uh-huh. But most things that they write um, do, does get published, because I, use, I don't assign things I don't intend on publishing. Right, and, and there's also a blog that's youthspeak, youthspeaknews.org. Yes. Uh, is there content that goes on the blog that is not published in the paper? Yes, there is. Okay. Um, sometimes there are things that we just you know, can't put in the paper because it's not uh, timely enough. Or it may not, it may be too short, or doesn't fit the sort of I newspaper ideal. Um, and then I will refer to the blog. Also, the blog's a great place to put up video and multimedia uh, content. Yeah, of course, of course. But also, I'm thinking about creating a schedule for the blog as well, so that the writers just don't learn how to write for um, you know newspaper, but they think about online writing as well. Absolutely. Now, um, do you you mentioned that they're columnists? Would you ever have them covering an actual event so that they're actually jur- doing journalism? Yes. Um, that's the sort of other hat that they wear. Okay. Um, I have sent, uh, some of the YSN writers have gone to um, cover the March for Life in Ottawa. Right. Um, they've gone to cover fundraising events for the Toronto Catholic District School Board. Uh-huh. 
um, I send them, you know, um, many different places, so they will actually get to experience what it's like to be a journalist. So it's great because then you have people all across the country and you're able to cover events from across the country or news stories from across the country from their point of view, from the point of view of a young person. Correct. Correct. So, okay, so now, does it cost anything or do they get paid? Um, this is an unpaid position, but what happens um, at the end of the, usually every May, um, we have a retreat for the Y Center, so it's expenses okay. paid. Oh. We fly them in to Toronto, yes. and then we, on a Friday night, um, and then um, it ends on a Sunday afternoon, and over those, that weekend, we actually run journalism workshops. So this year, the journalism workshops were on um, newspaper layout and design. Right. Um, we also had a photographer come in, uh-huh. and we actually took them to Salt and Light uh, yes, to get absolutely. a bit of broadcast yeah, that's experience. Good. That's good. Yeah, it's always fun to have you guys come in. Um, so if people are interested, what do they do? Well, what they should do is they should go to uh, catholicregister.org, and there's a YSN, which stands for Youth Speak News, a tab at the top, and the first thing underneath that is YSN Application 2013, and there they can find out all the information as well as download the um, application. Okay, so that's easy enough. Now, just in, in closing, you, you're you a YSN grad, aren't you? Um, no, I No, you're not. Okay, sorry. Because um, a, lot, a lot of times the youth editor has been... Uh, someone who's come through the program so that's yes a former youth editor Carolyn Gerard was a YSNer and yeah. she's a YSN editor and um, a Salt and Light producer Andrew Santos Andrew yeah absolutely was, was also a YSNer when he was 17 and now he's uh, he's actually does our saint segment here on the Salt and Light Hour so Andrew Santos is a YSN grad so so there's hope for your YSN team <laughs> when they grow up <laughs> yes they end up in um, media communication and government Christian and secular. Excellent. So that's very good to know. Okay. So thank you very much, Ruane, for sharing uh, uh, what you do with us. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a good response from our listeners. Thank you, Deacon. And I just want to say thanks to Father Tom Rosica, um, yes. CEO of Salt and Light, who has supported the YSN program. Oh, excellent. Uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll hear this, but I'll tell him in person as well. Ruane Remy is a reporter and youth editor at the Catholic Register. You can learn more uh, about the Register and about the program, as Ruane said, at catholicregister.org. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. But you can also read the Youth Speak News blog at youthspeaknews.org. Youthspeaknews.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Audrey Assad, with Lament from her album Heart.
Audrey Assad with Lament from her album Heart. I met Audrey Assad in 2009 during a Matt Marr concert that we were filming. Matt had brought Audrey to sing backup, and during the concert, Audrey sang one of her songs, Firefly, and blew everyone away. A year later, Audrey released her debut album with Sparrow Records titled The House You're Building, an album that was named Christian Album of 2010 on Amazon.com and the Christian Breakthrough Album of the Year on iTunes. Now, last year, Audrey released her second album with Sparrow Records, Heart, which we've been listening today. And needless to say, Audrey is doing very well. And I'm very happy to be speaking with Audrey Assad today. Audrey, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So do you remember that concert in 2009? You came to Toronto. I don't know if that's the only time you've been here in Mississauga with Matt. And you guys sang this Life Team concert. Yes, I do remember. Um, I had just, I think I'd been touring with him for about a year at that point. Okay. And, um, it was really fun. But yeah, I've, I've been to Canada many times. I actually love Canada. I've yeah. got a, I haven't visited all the provinces yet, but I've been to Toronto kind of throughout my life many times. I favorite know. area. We'll have to make sure next time you come, we have to connect. Now tell us a little bit. You said you would have been touring with Matt for a year. Tell us a little bit about that time in your life. Yeah, well, I met him in 2008, right after I moved to Nashville. I had been Catholic for one year. Uh-huh. Um, a friend introduced us, a friend that I had known for many, many years, and he's in another band, and they kind of ran in the same circles, and he said, you know, I have this friend, and he's Catholic, and he's a worship leader, and an artist, and I really think you guys would connect, and, you know, you guys should meet, and so we did, and then we went on the road pretty shortly thereafter, um, and stayed on the road together doing that. I sang at backup for him for about a year, and then um, I struck out on my own a little more after that. But we still partner up a lot. We write together and go on tour probably about once a year together still. So before you, and I want to ask you a little bit about your conversion, but before before that, were you already touring and doing music on your own, or were you sort of in the fringes? I was doing it sort of part-time. I okay. wasn't on the road full-time, but I had traveled some, but it was sort of, I had, it was pretty new for me still, so Matt was my first full-time music right, job, so, like so, being a doctor. Because Firefly, I know it was the song, but it was also a, a, an album that you put out on your own, that you had put out on your own earlier, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, um, tell us a little bit about this this conversion. Why why Catholicism? Well, um, of course, that's a very long story, but the <laughs> nutshell answer is that I spent most of my life being very attracted to the church aesthetically, and then when I was in my early 20s, I met a young Catholic who evangelized me to the teachings of the Catholic Church, and so I I ended up studying for a couple of years, was really well catechized by this guy and his family, and then um, went through RCIA and became Catholic, and the major, I think the major... um, sort of turning point for me was the the church authority thing. So once okay. I kind of came to believe that, everything else was believable. Everything fell Where into place. before I believed that, nothing was very believable. Interesting, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So so th- th- there's something to say then about evangelizing each other or sharing the good news with other oh, people, yeah. catechizing them. That's, that's, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a nice story. Now, so what was it like to grow up in the Assad home? I, I assume that it was a musical home. Was it a, a faithful home as well? Yes. Um, my mother was is musical. Um, I get all of my 
musical abilities from her side of the family. Right. And my my parents were, um, well, my dad is an immigrant from Syria. Okay. And he was a believer basically from a very young age in the Middle East. And then when he came to the States, he was uh, sort of accepted into the fold of, like, the uh, Plymouth Brethren Church, which is a smaller okay. Protestant denomination. But my mother was raised in that denomination as well, and so they met at some sort of a Bible conference, I think, when they were young. Okay. And, um, yeah, so I was raised Plymouth Brethren, which is, I like to compare, I mean, it's kind of somewhere between Quaker and Baptist. It's very, uh-huh, very, uh-huh. very conservative and um, very, very traditional. And, and then, so that was where I was raised, and um, they were... I mean, they taught me to, my parents taught me to, to love the Lord and to love the Word of God, and, um, you know, they in time have become very supportive of my decision to enter the Catholic Church communion, right. uh, although they are not Catholic, but they, you know, I think they believe that I'm following God's will for my life in some way, so. Yeah. Now, so you were taking piano lessons, I guess, when you were a little girl growing up, singing. Were you, was there an opportunity to sing in that church community or in other, in other settings growing up? In my church growing up, they did not really encourage women to be vocal in any way in front of the, the really? group. Really? And so I did not sing in front of my church until I was in my later years of high school where we had actually left that church and gone to a slightly more progressive, I guess you could call them a modern, I guess, um, branch Uh of the denomination. And they were more, I I did start singing in the choir and occasionally doing like little solos or whatever. Um, So that was later in high school. And then after that, we ended up uh, sort of doing the church hopping thing for a few years. And I... Ended up getting a job at a at a church doing um, music ministry for a young adult group, and so that was really where I started to uh-huh. uh, incubate. I think as a as a, as a, as a musician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when did the songwriting start? Also, as a I was nineteen when I started writing. Right around the time that I got that job, actually, I started to write my own songs. And, and, th- and so that's around the time of Firefly. No, uh, I didn't make Firefly until I was. 25. Okay, so later, yeah. Yeah, a few years later, six years later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've had the two albums with Sparrow Records, and now you've left Sparrow, and you've mm-hmm. turned to Kickstarter. What's that all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, my parting with the label was, I think, as good as it could be expected. It's never fun, but it was the right decision for several reasons, and yeah. a lot of them being creative decisions, uh, creative uh, reasons, and differences that I didn't see as reconcilable, and um, neither did they. And so we parted ways in March, and I decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign to basically um, do two things. One, I mean, I didn't know how I was going to fund the next record. Um, You know, I I also felt that huddling my fans in this way would keep them engaged in what I was doing and keep me Mm -hmm. connected to what they who they are and what they are doing in life and kind of, you know, I just felt like it would be a really good experience all around. And yeah, so and I decided to try it. And so we set our goal at 40,000, which was to make the record, market it, do some video work, website, you know, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Which is actually, it sounds like a big number, but it's actually no, quite a small number in the scheme of what it usually costs to do that much work. I know, but you raised but like 60,000 yeah. or something. Yeah. 
We raised uh, $79,000. Yeah, I know. That's great. You know what? I think that Kickstarter for albums is the great pl- best platform because essentially what people are doing is they're buying... I mean, they can support yeah. more, but they're basically buying the album before it's it's yeah, made. Yeah, pre sale basically. Yeah, it's a, that's, uh, it's it makes perfect sense. So but, you've pre sold yeah. seventy nine thousand dollars worth of the album, which is <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite but we um, we did sell. I think all in all, we had twenty two hundred backers, and so that's we've great. got that many copies pre sold. But um, a lot of them were very generous, so they gave way more money than yeah, they had to, to get the record, and that's how we made, were able to raise that large amount of money, which enabled us to do more and make a better record and spend more time in the studio. And, yeah, I know. You know, I'm not pocketing any of that money; like it's all getting spent on this album. No, so. but that's good. That's good, and you're working on that as we speak. Are you? Yeah. Uh, what's sort of the focus of the album? Can you share a little bit about yeah, sort of where absolutely. you're going with this? Well, it's going to be called um, Fortunate Fall. And that is an alternate translation of one of the prayers in the Exalted at the Easter Vigil. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, happy false, oh, necessary sin of Adam. Yeah, I know that very well, for, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the overarching theme of the record, and within that there are several other lyrical themes, but that is definitely um, the main one. And then sonically, I've, I'm really, I haven't tracked it yet, so I'm, I'm about to go in on Monday. I've just been working on sort of, getting it all ready to go and written and everything. And on Monday, we'll start, but I'm very much aiming uh, at this point to use traditional church instruments like piano, organ, voice, bells, right. uh, in, in sort of a modern frame, you know? So, um, and there will be some, like, praise and worship type songs on it as well that are more, I don't know, I want to use the word contemporary, but I guess yeah. modern and in their makeup. But uh, there will be a lot of, of sacred influence, I think, just, to my recent three years of growth in the Catholic Church, it's really influenced me in how I view how church music should be. Right. You know? And so okay. uh, I'm very much keeping that in mind as well, like the teachings of the Church on on that. And so um, I think it's going to be a nice, like, deep record. I hope that people are able to pray with it. Is it going to be, I mean, because your music, I don't know, I don't know even how to say, you know, it's folky, indie kind of music. Is it going to be music that can be used in worship or used in liturgy, or is it more to listen to, to for my own private prayer? Yeah, I think it's, um, I'm very intentionally going for a mixture, and what I'm planning on doing is in the liner notes with each song, sort of stating what is best used, like, what what its best context is, and so right. if this is a song that yeah absolutely could fit into a liturgy, then I'll I'll notate that. And if it's a song that is more suited to adoration on a Friday night, then I'll notate that. You know, yeah. and then some of them, a couple of them, will be really more for personal devotion than anything. But I think there will be like quite a quite a mixture on the record. Well, as as a as a permanent deacon. And since you're going with Oh Happy Fall, if you want to set the whole exalted to music that is actually singable mm-hmm. and that, yeah. <laughs> that it's like 12 minutes long, then I'd be happy yeah, to, to take you up on to, to not. To, I will think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Audrey, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good reconnecting with you and to uh, to get to know you a little better. And, uh, and we're going to try to connect with you once uh, your new album is out so that we Wonderful. can uh, help Thanks you pump so it up. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn all about Audrey Assad at her website, AudreyAssad.com. That's Assad with two S's, but I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. She's also on Twitter and on Facebook, so be sure to look her up. And if you'd like to win a copy of Audrey's Heart, go to saltandlighttv.org radio and enter your name and email address, and we'll be drawing a winner next Saturday. 
and announcing the winner on this show. Here now is Audrey with another song from her album Heart. The song is titled Sparrow. listening to Audrey Assad with Sparrow from her album Heart. And that will take us to the end of our program this week. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. And that's also where you can now stay connected to win weekly prizes from our featured artists or authors. And that's also where you can now listen to unlimited Catholic music streaming all day long at Salt and Light Radio Christian Music like never before thanks to the generous contributions of all our featured artists like Audrey Assad. Now look for Salt and Light Radio on Facebook facebook.com slash slradio1 that's the number one slradio1 and look for me on Facebook Deacon Pedro and also follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM Salt and Light Radio is a ministry of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation Learn all about us at saltandlighttv.org and learn how, for less than the cost of a coffee a day, you can be part of supporting our ministry by joining the Guardian's program. Thank you for keeping us in your prayers and for considering our ministry when you're making your charitable contributions. We rely on donations to do our work, and so your support is deeply appreciated. Thank you, and God bless you. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.